can't just plan for half the population and not the other. You don't actually reinforce or build new stereotypes. Welcome to Breaking Paradigms, a podcast where we talk about global perspectives on spatial planning in practice and theory by Constance Frech and Sarah Kouchy. In this episode, we will continue our conversation about gender mainstreaming and gender justice in spatial planning. We invited Katarina Camarinha and Sujaya Rati, two experts on the subject, who implemented projects, wrote international guidelines and did research in different countries around the globe. All areas in planning will have a gendered aspect. Katarina Camarinas is an urban planner working with the UN on sustainable development issues for more than 10 years. As a settlement officer for UN Habitat, she connected to the topic of gender planning. She was a driving force in extracting the knowledge and experiences that existed through the work of UN Habitat in terms of gender mainstreaming by creating a document that would reflect the processes and hands-on approach, therefore improving visibility of the topic worldwide. But it does not permeate through the policy. Sujaya Rati is an urban planner who has more than 20 years of experience in planning in the US, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and Nepal. Her fields of expertise include mobility, sanitation and capacity building as well as governance. She connected with gender mainstreaming due to a variety of reasons. Especially gender mainstreaming in mobility and infrastructure planning became a hot-button topic after sexual assaults on women in India within public spaces and transportation. She initiated a multinational research project, published several papers on the topic and accompanied projects with the Gates Foundation. In India, uh, we started thinking more about the governance processes and that's what's as the lever for change. And that's where we sort of, with our discussions in our brainstorming, we suddenly discovered that, you know what, gender, it is not there. And also, you know, you've uh, heard about uh, the very uh, sad case here in India uh, about the brutal rape of a young person uh, at 10 o'clock at night in a almost, a, a, you know, a pretty crowded place in India traveling in a public bus. And that's sort of, you know, always had us thinking that there's something wrong. We are not doing something right with respect to planning and infrastructure. So, and uh, a sort of, you know, all those things came in and we started to look at the planning tools, which are one of the, you know, governance tools. And uh, we got a short, you know, funding from the Overseas Development uh, Institute, ODI. And we started looking into the countries of Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. And what we found out was that constitutionally rights to women, it is there. When you talk about policy, it's also there in policy in some ways, especially when we looked at India at the national urban sanitation policy, the vision states poor and women, but it does not permeate through the policy, you know, for implementation. So it's there, you know, there was thought given to that. 
And that's what, you know, the study was about. How would you define gender planning and what are the gendered aspects of planning? In terms of spatial planning, the gender perspectives in planning reflect the realities of persons who are dealing with inequalities. They can be multiple and overlapping, which brings the question of intersectionality as well, that somehow we are dealing with obstacles that are put to different genders in different moments, in, in different realities. And so we can support those different, to find solutions for those challenges. This can have to do with aspects such as property tenure for certain women. It can have to do with challenges in basic urban services, in access to education, areas like water, sanitation. We have worked a lot with waste management as well. How the different genders link with the all areas, of course, employment is, a, is an important part of this, obstacles to participation. So when we look at it, all areas in planning will have a gendered aspect. I'm not sure there's any area that will not reflect uh, women and men's. So yeah, of course, there's cultural barriers that are more present in certain areas or there are areas that are more urgent. There's also new areas like climate change. We see a lot of population displacement issues now and linking with shelters, for example. These are areas that are, I wouldn't say new, but that capture more attention now with so many critical moments that we are witnessing. But I mean, in principle, all aspects of planning have a, a gender dimension to it. And we can address, in the end, it's about addressing gender equality and finding new ways to approach how women and men's roles may be better articulated in society, in the end, by addressing their needs. And, and of course, uh, development uh, planning is a very important tool to address uh, the society's needs and looking with particular care for certain more vulnerable groups. It can be women, but it also can be youth or or children or the elderly. It's not just strictly for women, but we do have to have certain strategies for addressing the particular discrimination that is more sensitive to gender issues or that is more related to gender issues. I think there are areas that we can see are very critical. For example, in public services provision, we see issues that perhaps relate to maternal care or to pl family planning that in certain societies are not available, that may really create then in the long course of, of the life of the person may create a lot of obstacles in the future. Access to education, particularly for uh, young women from uh, poor or rural communities or that are um, already with, with children, for example, access to university. There's so many different layers of need that planning can address. Uh, certain areas that are very classic have to do with mobility, so the public transportation system. Also, public spaces is an area that we worked with a lot and we see uh, that is somewhat uh, easy to or typical that it may, may be maybe a bit more related to spatial planning and to urban planning in a way. But of course, environmental management, land rights, economic development, employment opportunities, all these aspects can be tackled through uh, a gender perspective or through gender mainstreaming in planning and, and having a particular care for our social perceptions, for expectations, for 
opportunities that may be associated with being female or male and how we can enhance them through planning. I guess that's the main objective. Okay, so what I would say, Ad, you know, is a gender intentional planning with gender in mind uh, more than, you know, gender based or it it becomes very uh, binary, like, you know, male versus female. It's not that. Uh, what I want to say that you have to plan for everyone. Leave no one behind agenda that we're talking about. So it includes that include everybody in the planning process. Think about everybody. Who are the different types of population in the you know the city, right? In a city, if you are planning for only men in mind or just women in mind, you are actually excluding a part of the population. So that's the broader thinking that I am coming from. So it's about, first of all, giving them agency, giving them a platform to talk, giving them a platform to participate, giving them a platform to make decisions. And that's where the change will come. The solutions are not, you know, rocket science. Those are very, very low hanging fruits. It's just a tweaking here and there. And that's, for example, uh, if I would say, uh, say toilet design, right? Uh, so how do people, all do, how do women, what is their need? Say in slums, what do they do? They, a toilet, they, other than using the toilet for their, uh, for relieving themselves, they use it for bathing. They have their child with them. They take their child with them. They sit there. They also chat. So there is a lot of activities. So once if you identify those needs, you can design the space very differently. So it's it's very small. It's just having their uh, voices heard. And for that, you need a process. And that's where I am recommending is there is a process that so the policy is the overall guiding force which would enable government processes to include or mandate women. Uh, that is one is a process and uh, one very example I could give you where the process worked is in Delhi slums. Uh, so this is a migrant population coming from very social, I would say regressive social background. And they came here and they migrated. They were working here. The women were, you know, in India, you have the veil. They were they didn't show their faces. So they were that, you know, uh, behind uh, inside door indoors. So when I met them like uh, two, three years ago and uh, they are talking, what I saw was they are talking with the uh, engineers from the Delhi you know, slum board and uh, uh, Delhi housing shelters. They said, uh, you know, brother, you haven't given us this water supply. This is not right. They are talking. So what happened in the last 10, 15 years is that NGOs and others who have been working with them have given them or facilitated that process, that interaction, that interface with the uh, government and them. And what they have in the process have gained is empowered. They are empowered. They've got ownership. They have maintained their community toilets. They maintain also the monitor. They also monitor and reflect it to the uh, governance process water supply, you know, whether it's come, whether the drains are cleaned, whether the other things are there. And they do it. And I was so impressed by them that they, you know, they are so enthusiastic and they manage their uh, jobs. They, you know, they take care of the kids. They also manage a small business and they are also doing this. And 
they've got it sorted out. I mean, it was so, you know, positive. So, and, but it had taken time. It, it takes time. It's a change. It's a behavior change. It's a behavior change from the side of the government, from the side of the women and the men, you know? So the men has to be a part of the conversation. So that's very important. So I would say, uh, if I would just put it together, I would say giving them agency, giving them an opportunity to participate, to make decisions, uh, and that would just change everything. I think the solutions will come. How are cities different when their planning is based in gender mainstreaming? Well, as we've said a little bit, these gender perspectives will provide a basis for the analysis of city planning or planning for the future of uh, territories that will be very valuable in terms of advancing the needs of specific groups. Again, it's not just specific of women. It can be boys in certain societies or it can be whoever is being discriminated. But it's having in mind the needs of all members of the community, not just, you know, traditionally, it's more men that are more public. It's good that they have been so engaged with, with the community, but perhaps it's also needed to look at other, other groups and how they, they interact with their social, economic and, and environmental future in a way. I think that's probably something that has to do also with the commitment that the cities can bring of these groups. But in principle, these cities should be different in terms of how they will allow more space for freedom and how they will engage better with the different groups and how will they, they will be planning better for the different groups. In principle, they should be more prosperous because, of course, by the time you are engaging with uh, more 50% of your community in, in, in average uh, worldwide. Globally, we are speaking about 50% of people who are somewhat left behind. So if you are able to capture those, those opportunities, the, the potential of, the, of those groups that are left behind, it's an opportunity for cities to be more prosperous, more uh, vibrant, safer. There's lots of gains that can be obtained. Uh, and of course, that cities are places of freedom, that you have opportunities, that you have choices. That's, uh, I think, uh, basically how cities can be different. They can be better cities. Uh, so if I talk about mobility, so I've talked about sanitation. Now, uh, how women perceive public space, you know, is very different from how men does do. <clears throat> so the personal safety is very different for us than for men. So street lighting, lighting, right? And having bus stops which are lighted up. Having uh, maybe some, right now we have some apps, you know, apps which if, if you feel anything, you know, not safe, you can uh, uh, sort of call somebody and like that. And so those sort of uh, uh, small things in the, lighted up, the buses lighted up, a women conductor being there. So those, and now we have in uh, Bangalore and many other places in India, she taxis. So, you know, she cabs or, you know, what they call it, where women, uh, especially uh, in the, you know, uh, midnight hours and all, they are very useful when you're not feeling comfortable, you know, coming long highways where there is less, you know, interaction with people or activities. So those are things that are happening. I mean, I wouldn't say they're hap uh, not happening, but this has taken some effort. And uh, But it has to be 
mainstreamed into you know uh, into our planning processes and infrastructure design it's still very siloed you know okay we will do this in, as an afterthought gender is an afterthought it's not part of your design process i would say and that's where i think the whole effort needs to be uh, done what are the specific efforts cities can make to improve their city in terms of gender planning in terms of concrete actions i mean we are talking here a lot about the process so how cities have engaged in developing a process that is more uh, conducive to gender equality and there are a lot of good examples of course powerful transformation that we are observing uh, all over the world there are strategies in terms of process that are for example here in the caribbean we see that uh, countries are adopting something that is more linked to policy coherence so rather than looking only at spatial planning or at gender bureaus to try to interact between the different more uh, integrated approaches that you look for example at climate change at, at disaster risk response that also integrates gender mainstreaming. So gender mainstreaming not only in a certain area, but looking at the different sectors and aligning the risk reduction policies and aligning strategies uh, all over the, the different documents, policies, programs, plans that are being produced by the governments. And again, it's not only for local governments, it's also for national governments to observe so rather than focusing on a gender equality plan or some matrix for development, it's very important, it's a basis, but then to also mainstream it across sectors. That is a, a good practice that we are observing here in the Caribbean, this willingness to engage in policy coherence. A lot of cities have already started to try to create more meaningful and effective participation of women and uh, not only women, girls, boys, etc. with diverse backgrounds. We saw, for example, in Kosovo, we did a program with sustainable schools to also engage with the school communities. Sometimes it's difficult to reach very isolated communities to get the engagement of women fully because there's this perception that these are maybe not safe spaces or because of the schedules that are imposed or perhaps of the presence of men in the room or perhaps they don't feel confident to speak in public. There's many cultural reasons that may link to disengagement but we have to find avenues and sometimes the school community is a good place to engage with young women. It's a structured space, it's a safe space. You will get a lot of women teachers, for example, parents also who may be available. So there's strategies, there's fairs where you can connect with the public in a bit more lively, a bit more friendly atmosphere. There's, of course, the traditional ways like focus group discussions or forums or debates or workshops. You can do it in certain communities looking at perhaps only women in the room. If it's very hard for them to speak in a wider group with both genders, you have to find the strategies to attract the groups and be flexible. And that's sometimes very difficult for administrative offices to have that level of flexibility in schedules, in spaces, in providing perhaps care for children if, if it is the case that they cannot leave their children, to, find, to be inventive in finding ways to engage with the different genders. 
I think one aspect that is very important is to really look at these different descriptions. We were saying intersectionality, so looking at the different ways of discrimination that may be experienced. Sometimes there's not just one one area. Sometimes it has to do with access to land or it has to do with access to certain practices that are already entrenched in the in the communities. So we have to really understand what is it exactly that is happening there and and work with the with the perspective that this can be overlapping uh, ways of discrimination. And for that, of course, it's very important to have disaggregated data, to have data collection methods, to have analysis. This is an area that most cities are, are working with and that is being developed, I believe, all over the world. It's, it's usually a common challenge for cities is to have gender disaggregated data. It will, of course, impact the, the way we plan, but it will also be somehow important to then really use it as well. Sometimes if, even if we have the data, uh, very often we then, okay, we, we have these numbers, now we are happy with it, but then we don't do much about the analysis of it, which is probably uh, another layer of the listening skills that we have to improve when we are addressing the context and really trying to conduct gender assessments here in the Caribbean. We are seeing also good practices in this uh, aspect of, you know, prior to doing the intervention, really have an accurate, a well-developed, robust gender assessment uh, needs pre and post disaster, for example, in the case of climate adaptation planning, to really have in mind the needs of uh, specific groups. We are looking here a lot at indigenous communities, uh, at risk youth, in the case of the Latin American and the Caribbean, there's a lot of urban violence. So, of course, this uh, at risk youth is a particular focus group, persons with disability are very often uh, abandoned and these also have gender perspectives within these groups, you know, to look at rural communities also from that perspective. But the important part is really to have not only gender specific indicators, gender data, gender analysis, but really to have a robust gender assessment that it's based on the context that is really understanding the complex issues that are, are raised in each different context. They're not all the same uh, everywhere, right? Uh, so as I said, uh, I think the first is having, uh, for example, I can give you a concrete example, say in sanitation planning. So the sanitation planning uh, entails that you have a city task force sanitation task force and the task force at the first point you can have women and other uh, you know representatives of other uh, minority I would say uh, or vulnerable uh, communities so they are represented so it's an agency so it's the other ones who interact then also politically which is in India in Nepal in uh, Bangladesh also we have this quota that one third of the seats will be by women, you know, political seats, so elected seats. So that has to be done in spirit. In some cases it is not, uh, but that is at least a first step that women are there. Then, uh, and, uh, so that's where the representation comes. And then if you think about planning, if you go back to planning, you think about planning school first. Let us get the kids uh, into gender planning when they learn everything abc infrastructure design structures 
also how gender comes into and how they can think uh, gender when they're thinking of all these things. So that comes and once they, once the planner is in the city who has a gender sensitive or a gender, you know, planning uh, class, you know, that gets mainstreamed in a, in a way. And uh, then if you think about process, where you have at every uh, project uh, process, say for, from project inception to project monitoring to implementation to everything, if you have some sort of a gender uh, mandate, right? Uh, it, whatever the project is, it could be sanitation, it could be road project, it could be uh, anything else. And uh, <clears throat> how do you make provision for gender? And there should be some monitoring guidelines. And the problem is that it has been done say ADB, World Bank projects, because they have a gender mandate, you have to do it, right? So it's done ad hoc. But now it needs to be, it's part of the city planning process and your project will be monitored based on whether the outcomes have been uh, sort of achieved or not. So that is where uh, I think I would say is, is the first step. And then it gets into design, as I said. Then once this process is, done, uh, is there, then when you design toilets, this will be there, right? You, you know, it will be reflect, reflected because the mandate is there at every part of that or in, you know, safe roads, anything else. Does gender planning reinforce gender stereotypes? Because the intention is, of course, the opposite, right? We, we do planning to avoid stereotypes, to promote a bit more inclusive uh, approach to, to the understanding of differences, allow space for freedom. So all of that is a fight against stereotypes. So for example, the fact that a person can walk to work safely without being seen as, uh, I don't know, as a certain stereotype just because a woman is walking outside at a certain hour. So that, that will allow uh, her, for example, to have a, a work at a certain hour and, and access work, uh, work and home without that perception of, of being subject to a, to a stereotype. However, there are risks, of course, if this is not done correctly, and that's also why I was reinforcing the need to really conduct appropriate gender assessments to really try to understand the communities we are working with, and not believe that all women feel the same at all, that all men feel the same or that just so that that gender perspective has to be very well embraced, very well understood so that you don't actually reinforce or build new stereotypes. I don't think so. You know, the you know, that's how how you sort of uh, frame the problem is very different uh, if you say that I'm planning for everyone. So if I'm planning for uh, uh, um, men, I have to plan for women. I have to plan for somebody who is disabled. And so it is about inclusion. And it's about inclusion. It's not men versus women or men versus different types of gender versus each other. It's not about competing needs. It's about, you know, how do you complement and supplement each other uh, in that so that the the infrastructure is sustainable, used. For example, if I go back to the toilet uh, example that I talked about in the Delhi slums, uh, it is since it's been thought of and they've been part of the whole process, it's managed so well. You know, it's monitored, managed. They have the, you know, they talk to the engineers, the engineers also have developed a rapport and it works wonderfully. So, but that takes time, as I said. But so the process needs to be in place, a lot of behavior change 
from for the women as well as the men because men need to support this process otherwise it will never get to happen it's it's a it's a dialogue between everybody between the broad community to really get about you know you can't just plan for half the population and not the other so it's that uh, it's that that's the way i would put it it's not uh, it's just about inclusion gender mainstreaming and diversity management are complex topics on every level from local to multinational there are no one size fits all solutions and as planners we need to be good listeners and question why we make certain decisions and for whom since we are very excited about the topic we decided to add another episode where we will have a discussion about gender planning let us know if you learned something new during this episode what would you like to hear more about do you know any good practices of gender planning Write us an email or comment. We look forward to hearing from you. This was Breaking Paradigms by Constanze Frey and Sarah Couchier. Be part of the conversation. If you like what we do, consider supporting us and join our Patreon community. Connect with us on Facebook, YouTube and at breakingparadigms.org. Content and editing by Constanze Frey and Sarah Couchier. Sound design by Didac Barroso and Florian Frey.